You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little pop quiz, all right? Now, come on, play the game. I haven't done a pop quiz in three and a half years, so pop quiz. Uh, Two years ago, Leadership Westwind renewed our vision. Our vision includes mission, core values, strategy, and measures. Today, we're going to focus on the first part of our mission. Who has enough guts to get your tail up here and give us our mission statement? About 80% accurate. And you will be rewarded. Westwind Church exists too. Who's got enough courage? <laughs> Tyler's thinking about it. All right, right here, son. Get up here. Now turn the mic on. Go ahead. Westwind Church exists to glorify God by engaging people everywhere in the journey towards Christ-likeness. Let's give it up. Let's give it up. So we'll see you after the service for the reward. Isaac, thank you. See, we were just wondering, you got this really cool brochure when you came in, right? Local and global missions, and the mission statement was on the back. How many of you read it? You had it? But the man, the smart man, the courageous man, knocks it out of the park. All right, so here's what we're doing this morning. We're focusing in on the first part of the mission statement. Let me put it up there again if if I could. Westwind Church exists to do what? Glorify God. And there's some very practical things. By engaging people everywhere in what? The journey to become like Jesus. That's our goal. So our topic this morning is the first part, but we've already given you opportunity through WAX to engage people everywhere, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So that's our goal. So when I think about the glory of God, folks, I think about Mount Everest. It's enormous. And so here's the question. How do you climb Everest? Yeah, one step at a time. How do you examine the glory of God? One step at a time. Literally, we could spend six to eight weeks on this beautiful topic, but today we get a taste of it, why it comes from a passage that's pretty hard. And so I went a totally different route. I hope you have your Connect card, because I want to encourage you to take notes. The glory of God is foundational to our life. That's why we exist as a church, to bring glory to him uh, in all we do. So let's start with the Old Testament to get an understanding of what glory means. The primary Hebrew word in the Old Testament is kabod. And folks, that's important because we read it in English, but when you go back to the original language, you're going to see a word that has depth of meaning. It has color. It's very graphical. And basically what kabod means is weighty valued, worthy of honor and respect. So when that word shows up, that's what we're talking about. Jump to the New Testament, the primary word is doxa. For you worship people, what English word do we get from doxa? Oh yeah, no prize for you, that was too easy. All right, but thank you. Austin, thank you. And doxa similarly means praiseworthy, awe-inspiring, deserving of 
honor. In our passage, we're going to see those two beautiful words, kabod and doxa. And it's just a, a picture of who God is. He's honorable. He's praiseworthy. He's awe-inspiring. Now, I hope you understand that we get to experience glory on a daily basis. Let me ask you a question. In the morning, what is the glory of every potential morning? What is it? Brushing your teeth? No. The sunrise, yes. How many of you like to walk in the morning and see the sun come up? Yeah, Tina and me. Way to go. And Ellen, so there's three of us. Honestly, guys, one of the practices we have is just getting up early. And when you walk into the sunrise, even just in simple flat area, Adele, it's glorious. It's majestic. Often I take my, my phone and take pictures. It's so beautiful. But about a year ago, Ellen and I went to Grand Tetons. And here's a picture right here. And we were encouraged to go to Schomburg's Landing. Go early. Why? The sun's coming up in the east. The moon's in the west still showing. And for the next 60 minutes, what's going to happen is the sun will transform the Tetons. Snake River is still. It reflects off the river. And here's one of my uh, favorite photos of that area. Hundreds of people getting up very early, traveling all across the country. One gentleman I met from New York City, beautiful camera, taking a lot of pictures. Why? It's part of God's glory. It's part of his creation. We stand in awe. We give it respect. We're, it's an aha moment. Now, let me give you one more picture of glory in our uh, life journey. What is the glory of a wedding? Some of you are preparing for that day. What's the glory of the wedding? I promise you it's not the bridegroom. Right, guys? Who gives a rip about us? Right? No, here's how it works at the wedding, right? I've done a few of these things. So the pastor's up there. To his right is the bridegroom, right? Maybe the best man. Then the wedding party, and they find their space, and we're all organized. Then the little kids, and they're throwing these flowers and pedestal. Everybody set for the most glorious moment during that event. And what is it? All rise, and we turn to the bride. And we're awe-inspired. There's tears. There's smiles. The cameras are going crazy. Would you agree with me, ladies? The glory of the wedding is a bride. And all the ladies said? Well, Austin, way to go. You got some brownie points there. Yes, sir. But that's a picture of what it is to be uh, honestly revered, to be inspired by the bride at a wedding. Now... God's glory is so big in scripture, but before we go to our passage this morning, I thought it's essential to give you a few portraits of God's glory, so then when we get to Acts chapter 12, 20 through 25, you'll understand why the hard thing happened to a prideful, arrogant, self-glorifying individual. So let me give you four portraits, okay? Stick with me. Portrait number one, creation reveals God's glory. One of the beautiful verses that comes out of the Psalms, theologians call this general revelation. In other words, God reveals himself through revelation. Look at through creation. Look at uh, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory, that's that word kabod, of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. I hope you get inspired 
by what we're seeing today through cosmologists, through technology, through cameras photographing our universe. But go out some beautiful night and just look up. Eyes wide open and standing off God. Our Milky Way galaxy has billions of stars and planets. Just one galaxy within billions of galaxies within our universe. He's standing off God through creation. But notice what it says here in, in the second part of the verse. Day after day, they, meaning the sky, the night, the galaxies, the universe, pours out speech. God is communicating through his creation. Night after night, they communicate knowledge of God's what? Of his weightiness, of his glory, of his majesty. And we get to stand in awe of God. This is Ecclesiastes 3.14. God works through creation, so we will stand in awe of him. That's one picture. Portrait number two, of course, Jesus reveals the glory of God. Track with me here, John 1.14. The word, which is a metaphor for Jesus, became flesh. Word meaning revealing, communicating God. The word became flesh, took up residence among us. Some of the versions say tabernacled, set up his tent in our backyard. And notice this, we observed his glory. Glory is the only one and only son from the Father full of two things, grace and truth. Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen what? You've seen the Father. Folks, that's a big deal. When they saw Jesus, the one and only, they saw the glory of God. They saw his majesty. Every now and then, Jesus would give them a taste of his true glory when he was transfigured. And Peter, James, and John, wow, they saw the glorified Christ. And then, of course, in the resurrection, the glory of Jesus. Why do 2.5 billion people today align with the Christian faith to some degree? It's because the glory of God is revealed in Christ. What a blessing. Portrait number three, every aspect of our lives can give glory to God. Friends, I hope you believe that. I didn't believe this. I didn't understand this as a young Christian. I thought there were more sacred things and secular things in life. I've come to realize that all of life is sacred. Everything we do and become matters to God. Do you believe that? Let me try to illustrate it here today. There's a lot of occupations here, a lot of employment, a lot of calling. So I, I made a list to myself. I thought through, you know, we have educators. We have medical personnel, we have people in finances, parents staying at home, customer service, white collar, blue collar, the list goes on and on, landscaping, right? And pastoring. Let me ask you a question. Of the list I just gave you, is there any more sacred calling career than another in that list? You know what my misconception was early on? I thought mission work, I thought pastoring was more sacred. I thought it was a higher calling. It's not, folks. No, we're all called to a unique role, and in those roles, we bring glory to God. And that makes every day of the week sacred. All of what we get to do, according to Paul, when he wrote to the Colossian church, he says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. 
that gives us purpose today, folks. Every day we rise, every employment we pursue can bring glory to God. I hope you view that. I hope you view your work, your life as sacred. And now finally, because this is going to help us with our final, as we lead up to our passage, portrait number four. God is jealous for his glory. God is jealous for his glory. And we got to think clearly about this topic here because there's misconceptions. Some people think God is an egotistical God. That somehow he lives vain-like. No, it's just the opposite. Track with me. Exodus 20, verse 5. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. Why? Because of your love and faithfulness. Now here's the tension with this idea of jealousy. When you think of jealousy, you often think in terms that are negative, right? That we're jealous of something. I'm jealous of your success. I'm jealous of your accomplishments. We're jealous and envious of others' progress in life. That is a negative side of jealousy, but there's a very positive side of jealousy in the Bible. You know what the positive side is? Being jealous for something. It's radically different. And in the Christian life, what are we jealous for? We're jealous for the name of the Lord. We're jealous for his fame. We're jealous that in our lives and in our church, he is exalted. He is highly esteemed. When you come to Westwind, you stand in awe of God. That's what we're jealous for. Why? Because he's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. So I hope today you are jealous for his glory. We come to a passage now that hopefully with a few portraits we'll understand what happened in a place called Caesarea Maritime. It's a very important place in the ancient world. In fact, from Acts 8 to Acts 25, we're going to spend a lot of time in Caesarea. Philip went there and preached the gospel. Peter went there with Cornelius and preached the gospel. We're going to see time and time again that ministry is happening in Gentile territory. Why? The gospel, Acts 1-8, is moving forward to the ends of the earth. Now, let's try to connect the dots from last week because this is real important. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 20 through 25. Now, connecting the dots is very important. What happened last week? We saw, again, persecution in the church. We saw that the church was facing literally painful, hard times. One of the inner three disciples of Jesus, his name is John, died by the sword under Herod the Great's grandson, King Agrippa I. Herod also went after the church, the Christians, and he's persecuting them. He's ravaging the church. Who's next? It's Peter, the right-hand guy to Jesus. Peter's in prison, if you recall. But the church in verse 5 of chapter 12 is earnestly praying, and what does God do? He sends an angel of the Lord. Peter's miraculously rescued. He's freed. And guess what, folks? Twelve Roman soldiers are executed. Why? They, they didn't do their job. And Herod Agrippa I, I would contend from this passage, and just knowing the ancient world, is angry, he's humiliated, and he goes home to Caesarea, and he is absolutely ticked off. 
What happens in Caesarea? He faces another debacle. Two cities, Tyre and Sidon to the north, that relied heavily on the breadbasket of Israel. They're at odds with each other. There's a food embargo, it looks like. And so he goes home to be frustrated. Now, one of the things that Brett and I did was worked on something special. I hope uh, you'll enjoy this as uh, we enjoyed putting it together. But because Caesarea is such a focal point in the biblical narrative of Acts, from Acts 8 to Acts 25, I wanted to take you to Caesarea as best I could this morning. And so we have a video. The video was put together by the Israeli Museum. And what they did was they did a drone, kind of an overview uh, of the archaeological site, and then they developed it 3D as to how it looked 2,000 years ago. Why do I do this? Number one, we're going to be in Caesarea a long time. Number two, you got to know the Herodian family. There were six palaces scattered throughout Israel. These guys were megalomaniacs. They were arrogant. They were prideful leaders. Herod the Great killed the babies two years and younger in Bethlehem. Just slaughter them. Why? He was living fearful as a king of uh, Judea. And so let's, uh, let's hit the video. I'll narrate and see if this helps you as it helped me. So here we are, we're on the coast. We're about 45 minutes north of Jaffa. This is uh, a waterway, an aqueduct that Rome built. This is only a segment of it, but it brought water to the city. Here is an uh, amphitheater that is exceptional in the ancient world. It still stands today archaeologically. Again, the 3D gives you an idea. Just imagine you're at Caesarea, you're sitting at the Mediterranean Sea, and all the hoopla is happening, and you're looking out onto the sea. Now, I want you to notice, jutted out into the Mediterranean, the palace of King Herod is erected. Olympic-sized pool in the center of it. The opulence in the ancient world, this is one of six palaces, was uh, enormous. Now, this is crucial to understanding our passage. Now we're going to a place called the Hippodrome. The Hippodromes were common around the Roman world, but this is where activity took place, festivals took place, horse races. But I want to highlight something on the Hippodrome. In the center, uh, elevated, is what's called the Bema seat, the seat of judgment. This is where Herod Agrippa gave his speech and his life ended. Now you continued over, you're heading north. Notice this, a temple that goes up to Caesar Augustus, emperor worship. You come into the harbor. What's the first thing you encounter? You encounter paganism. You encounter the gods of men. And you encounter opulence beyond measure in the ancient world. And so we come to a passage where Herod Agrippa, grandson of Herod the Great, comes home, comes to his palace. He's fighting with two uh, Cities to the north, Tyre and Sidon, there's a grain embargo. He's frustrated, he's angry. Peter got released, he's humiliated. And we enter into a passage, hopefully, that'll make a lot more sense. So there's Caesarea. Brett, thank you for helping on that. What'd you think, is that cool? Israeli Museum, uh, you can go online. Well, stand with me. I'm going to uh, walk you through this passage, and then we're going to close our time this morning 
trying to make it very practical. How can you and I give glory to God? All right? So, verse 19 of the passage, Acts 12. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. That's exactly where we were. That is Caesarea. You can go there today. It's truly an awe-inspiring place. Notice, he had been very angry with the Tyrians and Sidonians, cities of Tyre and Sidon in the north. Together, they presented themselves before him. So what's happening? We, We have a lot of data from the ancient world. Herod is responsible for the grain in the area. Uh, he's, this is the regional center, if you will. This is the breadbasket. Somehow there was a fallout politically, and there's a grain embargo. And what did the Sidonians, the Tyrrhenians do? They send down a delegation to see if they can, you know, uh, fix things with this angry leader. Verse 20. They went over Blastus, who was Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom. And don't let that be weird. All that means is he was the most intimate confidant. He was his right-hand guy. And that's why it uses that phrase. And through him, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. And so they did the right thing, right? They're, they're on a peacemaking mission. They're coming down. Hey, can we get things right? We need food. We need your help. Verse 21. So on the appointed day... Notice this, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a public address to them. Now, folks, the appointed day, we know exactly what that means. It's a two-day festival in the Hippodrome. Herod is seated on the Bema seat. Everybody's there. Day number one, honoring Caesar Augustus, gods of men. Day number two is all about the king, Herod Agrippa I. Two days of honor, one for Rome, one for the local representative. Acts 12, 22 through 23. The assembled people began to shout, notice, it's the voice of a God, the us, and not a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not do what? Folks, this is the key. He did not give glory, doxa, to God, and he became infected with worms and died. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that sound weird? Does that sound a little bit harsh? Boy, I knew God was angry. This passage proves it. Friends, our God isn't an angry God. He is slow to anger. He is filled with compassion and kindness. Here's the deal about the Herod dynasty. You can study the Herod dynasty, starting with King Herod the Great, who tried to kill off the babies two years younger in Bethlehem. This is his grandson. It's a dynasty of arrogance. It's a dynasty of opulence. There is so much pride, so much arrogance here. Look what it says. Um, He's dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne. Josephus, who isn't a Christian, he's given us Jewish history for the time. He records the same events. They're not sourcing each other. Luke is a totally different source from Josephus, but you know what's true? Their accounts are almost identical. What are the accounts? Number one, dressed royally. In fact, Josephus gives us a real picture of how royal he was. Dressed in silver. And as the sun hit the silver, he looked like a god. His speech went forth and people started to praise him. Josephus says he didn't counter the worship, that, the adulations that were given him. And Josephus also records that he was eaten by worms. And it says he lasted five days. They took him to his palace and he died. Now finally, 
The historian, or uh, Acts 12, 24 through 25. And this is remarkable, folks. Then God's message flourished and multiplied after they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. Please be seated. I hope you see the total reversal. Acts chapter 12 starts out how? Herod's on a rampage. James is dead by the sword. Peter's in prison. The church is being ravaged. Now what's happening? Totally flipped. Herod Agrippa I is dead. The gospel of Jesus Christ is advancing. God has a will and purpose. And it's Acts 1.8. Out of love, out of mercy, Calvary, you'll be my witnesses of Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, he will accomplish his mission. And that is so graphically illustrated here. And so the question we have to ask today is, what must we learn from this passage? Friends, I don't believe this is harsh at all. This isn't a one-off event for Herod Agrippa. This is the narrative of the Herodian dynasty. History records about King Herod the Great when he died that he already pre-planned his funeral because he was so hated, and he literally paid off a magnificent funeral. The irony is when they found his tomb, uh, not too long after that, built in the side of one of his palaces called the Herodian, they did something that you wouldn't do in the ancient world. They desecrated the tomb. They destroyed his ossuary where his bones were kept. They hated him so much. Why? Pride, arrogance, receiving glory. These are gods. No, there's one true God. And he's the one that deserves all our glory. And so let me read to you from Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or praise to idols. And so the gods of men will never play out. And uh, we have to be careful. Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Notice this. Your name and renown are the desires of my heart. I want to pause there just for a moment. Wouldn't that be a great goal for all of us to have in life? Your name, Lord, your fame, your will is the desire of my heart. Sadly, that wasn't true of any of the uh, Herodian dynasty. And Herod Agrippa I paid deeply for it. You know, you think back on names that we've given to our children in the West. A lot of Peters, a lot of Johns, a lot of James. I ask you today, any of your friends named Herod? When did you think about having a discussion with your wife? Hey, should we name our, uh, our son Herod? No. The glory got robbed from them, right? They got it in real time, and we continue to give glory to God's servants. We're naming children after them. And so that leads to the blessing, and the blessing is this. If you and I truly want to give God glory, build up his name, let his uh, fame be evidence in our life, I think we can do the following. Number one, because the chief goal of life is to glorify God, each one of us should pursue God's glory in all that we do. And folks, this is a tiny list. I mean, we could put a hundred different things that you and I can do to give glory to God. But let's focus on five. And I stuck to the passage. I drew the application from the passage because that's what we like to do, teach the Bible. So pursuit number one, live humbly. 
Where do I get that from? If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 10, 24 through 26. You know what's really remarkable about Luke? He is relentless. He is thematic. He wants you to get the point, so he keeps coming at it from different angles. We have three pictures in the book of Acts, at least. Two where men could have received glory said no. One where he said yes. We just looked at Herod Agrippa 1. Let's look at what happened with Peter, Acts 10. So Peter comes to meet Cornelius here at Caesarea. The following day, Peter entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, notice this, fell at his feet and worshiped him. I want to pause for a moment. I want you to think how godly Peter became. Can you imagine being the apostle Peter? He's the guy who denied Jesus three times. But Christ says, hey, Peter, you're forgiven. Get back in the game. He does. He leads the first century church for at least 10 years. Folks, he saw people healed, lame men begging at the temple. Acts chapter 3. He saw Tabitha, who died, be raised from the grave. He took the gospel to Caesarea and Cornelius, a military leader. If anyone had reason for pride, it would be who what? Peter. Notice what he says. But Peter helped him up and said, stand up. I myself am also a man. What's really remarkable, if you flipped ahead to Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are in a place called Lystra. We'll get there in a few weeks. Same thing happened to them. They're preaching the gospel. People are like, wow, the gods are in our midst and they're worshiping uh, them. Paul and Barnabas, same response. Hey guys, time out. Stop it. We're just men like you. That's humility. That's brokenness. I think it's summed up best when John the Baptist, who was a great leader according to Jesus, in John 3.30, he said, Jesus must increase and I must do what? Decrease. My encouragement today is this. God's glory is tied to his reputation. Think it through just for a moment. God's glory is tied to his reputation. How is your life and my life elevating, accentuating, helping others stand in awe of his reputation? When we diminish, as John the Baptist says, he increases. And so any way you and I can live like John the Baptist did, I must decrease Jesus must increase. We give him fame. We give him glory. We give him honor. And again, going back to our mission statement, Westwind Church exists to do what? Diminish. So God's glory is accentuated. Secondly, pursuit number two, live faithfully. Again, let's go back to our passage. Go back to Acts chapter 12, one through three. And again, this ties back to last week, but I do think the early church was giving glory to God in all they were doing. So about that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church. So these are church members. And he killed James, one of the inner three, John's brother, with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the days of unleavened bread. One of the things the early church learned um, from day one, according to Jesus in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
I want you to think about that, especially our youth down front. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for doing what's right. When people challenge you for your Christian faith, maybe they mock you, maybe they diss you. You know, there's all kinds of ways you can view Christianity sadly negative today. But the early church, they suffered martyrdom. Folks, this was for real. James, one of the inner three, gets his head cut off with a sword. Peter's in prison. The church is being ravaged. Persecution was real. What about us? I don't think probably in my lifetime, maybe in years, that we'll suffer this kind of persecution. But you know what? They accepted Jesus' words. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for rightness sake. Let me show you another verse. Ironically, it comes from Peter. In 1 Peter 4:16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he should not be ashamed, but should glorify God in doing what? In having Jesus' name branding us. In other words, when they see us, they think of Christ. This is the third part of our mission statement. Being conformed, being transformed to the image of Christ. I know it's hard to even think in terms of what it must have been like 2,000 years ago to experience what the early church experienced and persecution. I've introduced some time ago a periodical called Voice of the Martyr. If you want to learn about persecution around the world, if you want to understand what Christians are experiencing today, I would encourage you, go online, get the periodical. Folks, this is real. But what they've learned over the years is, and there's a book out, a movie out called The Insanity of God, and it's quite a remarkable movie, that through persecution, it purifies the church, the church matures, and the church advances. And you ask yourself the question in America, why isn't the church advancing as it could or should? And why is the church globally advancing? One of the reasons is they accept persecution as normative. They take the beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, as a privilege to take on the name of Jesus. They persecuted the prophets. They persecuted Christ. We should be no different. So when that day comes, if it comes, and it might be in school, it might be at work, it might be that you're passed over for an advance at work because of your faith, whatever it is, it might be tension in the family, sometimes even in a marriage, We have to lean into it and bring glory to God in that persecution. Third, pursuit number three, live fruitfully. Look at verse five of Acts 12. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. John 15, verse eight, my father is glorified that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Folks, this is measurable. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. You can measure fruit in your life. Why do I say the church is living fruitfully? They have peace in the midst of persecution. They're prayerful. They're loving. They're caring. They're patient in time of trouble. That's the fruit of the Christian life. And to live fruitfully like that gives glory to God. Fourth, Live missionally. I love this. Look at verse 30. Then God's message flourished and multiplied. 
And again, that's measurable, right? Is the message of the gospel flourishing and multiplying in our life? Is the message of Christ flourishing and multiplying in our ministry? Do we see people in our sphere of influence coming to genuine faith in Christ, being influenced for the kingdom and glory of God? It gave glory to God when they did that. They lived missionally and then finally lived generously. And why do I say that? It could be missed here, but look at verse uh, 30b. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. One of the cool things here is the church is caring for each other. There's famine, there's hurt, there's struggles, there's challenges. And Jerusalem's coming north and caring. They fulfilled a relief mission and they lived generously. Dave did such a good job this morning talking about wax. And folks, that's a privilege that we have to partner with ministries like that. So again, let's go back to our mission statement. Who could say it? Westwind Church exists to glorify God by people everywhere in the Christ's likeness. We gave you one opportunity. It's called Wax. We're going to close with another opportunity. Let's take a look at this video. Hello, church. Merry Christmas. While you might not feel ready to embrace all things Christmas, at Single Parent Provision, Christmas is never far from our hearts. And that's because two of our biggest outreach events of the year happen during this time. And I'm here today to tell you about our 10th anniversary Single Moms Christmas Dinner. While celebrations and events can be fun, it's not lost on us the importance of this event. We know, especially at Christmas time, the feeling of being alone can be magnified. So this is our opportunity collectively to put our best foot forward and embrace togetherness and oneness. And that's exactly what's achieved through this event. On Saturday, December 11th, thousands of single mothers and children from throughout central Iowa and from even across the state will come together downtown at the Iowa Event Center for this special night. And we're inviting you, the church, to be a part of it. Collectively, this is our opportunity to show those who attend a sliver of the lavish love God has for them in a very tangible way. We're asking you to consider helping in several ways. The first is by volunteering. We need over 400 volunteers to make this event possible. We need help with check-in and greeting, with parking and security, with the men's usher and serving team, and our greatest need is helping with the kiddos who attend. We will have kids there attending from ages birth through age 18, and we need hundreds of volunteers alone just to be able to serve the kids. And I make a special call out to the men listening to this. Helping with the kiddos may not be the first thing you would set out to go sign up for, but I would ask you, especially for this event, to make a special consideration to do so. You can also help by donating gifts. We need thousands of gifts for this event, as all of the kids who come will receive a Christmas gift and all of the moms who attend will receive a Christmas gift. You can drop off any of those items at our office or in the collection bin at your church. Also, you can take a blessing bag and return it filled with items that will be given directly to one of the single moms attending. Another way you can help is by making a financial donation. As our Super Bowl event of the year, it has a Super Bowl price tag. So we invite you to make a donation of any amount. There's no gift too small and certainly none too large. You can get more information about sponsorships at the information table as well. And perhaps you as a family or you as a small group or even your employer may consider becoming a sponsor. Lastly, you can help by inviting the single moms in your life to attend. And to those single moms who are hearing this right now, 
from one single mom to another, please know that this event is for you. This night is about coming together with those walking a similar journey and being immersed in the abundant and rich love that Christ has for us. I'll leave you with this quote. We had one single mom attending say this. I just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who made this happen. While this was my first dinner, I found so much inspiration in last night's program. There were a few moments where I found myself in tears. You know there are other single moms out there, but to hear someone else put into words what you can't express and to understand you is beautiful. Thank you so much for what you do. It's very moving, and I'm grateful to have been a part of it. Thank you, church, for making it possible. Great opportunity. Westwind Church exists to glorify God by engaging people everywhere in the journey towards Christ-likeness. You want a personal testimony from Westwind Church? Ask Chelsea Gaspery how this ministry sincerely influenced her during her single years. What a blessing. And so as you exit this morning, there's a table to the right, and here's the cool blessing bag. This is something we can do as families and individuals, so be prayerful about that. But then there's a registration for the dinner. And so we just want to encourage you. We want to live out our mission. You know, to bring glory to God is a very practical thing. Living fruitfully. Living faithfully. Living generously. Let's honor God. Whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, let's do it to the glory of God. Stand, please. We're going to pray. Last week, we had our elders positioned at both sides of the uh, auditorium. And they are available again this morning. And so we would love for you to continue to engage our elders. Whatever the praise, the prayer is, they're going to be on either side for you. I see Tyler. Mr. Dean, you're good? Okay. I know Mr. Argenbright was uh, in back. I walked through the children's wing. Greg Argenbright, senior elder at Westwind Church, lying down on the floor with a little picture book reading to the kiddos. My kind of elder. Actually, we're going to put that as part of the job description. So, elders, uh, again, we'd love for you to, to connect with them. We want to pray for you and build you up. So let's pray together. Father, what a blessing today to know that everything we do and become in life can be glory to you. We don't take that for granted, Father. There's no sacred and secular. It's all sacred. And so, Father, I pray that you would sanctify our lives today and that we would bear much fruit for your kingdom and glory, that we would live faithfully when times get tough. Father, we want to demonstrate that Christ in us is the hope of glory and that our lives will put you on display. We want to decrease so you increase. May it be so, Father. And we pray for the ministry partners, local and global, Father. What a privilege to partner with WAX, to Single Prayer and Provision, and many others. Work in and through us. Cause us to be generous, Father. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.